Hello, Falava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Alicia Foon. Coming up, Pacific nations are being targeted by the wildlife lake market for butterflies. Also... It's an issue that you've got a majority government with no Pacific representation. That is definitely concerning. The New Zealand Green Party is gearing up to battle from the opposition benches. And later... The benefit is 11-fold in terms of every dollar invested now in health and education. Papua New Guinea's population is soaring and could reach 21 million by 2050. Pacific nations are being targeted in the black market for butterflies. Environmental advocates from the Solomon Islands are concerned wildlife trade is destroying the country's unique ecosystem. It comes after a New York man was accused of smuggling 200,000 US dollars worth of deceased insects into the States, including rare butterflies from the Solomon Islands. Caleb Fotheringham has the story. Charles Limmer, a 75-year-old man, has been charged with trafficking butterflies from the Solomon Islands. He listed two birdwing species online for around 480 US dollars. The New York man smuggled insects into the States by labelling shipments as decorative wall coverings and origami paper craft. It's a concern for Peter Waldy, the acting director of the Solomon Islands Nature Conservancy. The species that are most targeted, a country like the Solomon Islands, high level of endemism or species that are found nowhere else in the world, so they're a natural target for wildlife trade. Solomon Islands ecologist Dr Patrick Picaccia says wildlife trade has been on the rise since 2015. Endemic parrots, monkey tail skinks and birdwing butterflies are highly sought after. Insects are a regular traded wildlife exported overseas, or mostly ornithoptera, which are the taxon of butterflies that were picked up by customs in New York. Dr Picaccia says wildlife trade is one of the biggest problems for the country's unique ecosystem. So the wildlife trade, it sits quite high in terms of impacts to species. The numbers that are going out in terms of the live trade of birds and most of the taxes is quite high. He says the Solomon Islands is the only Pacific country that trades in live wildlife. It's a very hush-hush industry. So we're the only people that are looking at the, the data set and sort of raising alarms. Papua New Guinea trades in crocodile skins and meat. But Dr Picaccia says it comes from sustainable farms. In the Solomon Islands, all species are caught in the wild. The South Pacific Regional Environment Programme Threatened Species Advisor Karen Beard says wildlife trade can happen in a sustainable way. She says for most cases in the Pacific, it does. Generally speaking, trade is set up to ensure that trade is legal and sustainable, and that's generally what we see. But of course, there's always going to be people who take advantage of of any situation and, and engage in trade, which is against countries' best interests. Ms Beard says it's possible to do it right, as many Pacific communities benefit from sustainable and legal wildlife trade. Green MP Tiano Tuiono says there are nowhere near enough Pacifica voices in New Zealand's next government. The Greens formed the previous government with Labour's Jacinda Ardern and then Chris Hipkins, but they failed to secure a majority this time round. 
Mr Tuiono, who is from Achu in the Cooks and Napuhi in Aotearoa, is fuming over what he says is race-baiting politics by the incoming government. Lydia Lewis began by asking him why diversity in government is important. Diversity in parliament and in government is really important because that reflects the society that we that we live in. We're a country that is becoming more uh, multicultural and multilingual, and, and, and that's a good thing, with a foundation on te tiriti o waitangi and uh, making sure that we recognise uh, tangata whenua and that important status as well. And um, I understand that somebody that is both uh, Māori and Pasifika, someone that is both tangata whenua and tangata moana, these are good things. Is having one Pacific MP in national good enough? Well, potentially one, possibly zero. I mean, I, I don't know how they sorted out their how they sorted out their list, but in, the, in my first parliamentary term between 2020, they didn't have any Pacific uh, representation on, on on their list. We're the Greens. We're a smaller party. We've got two. You know, we made a, a priority. Uh, to make sure that we have that diversity and also recognising that our Pacifica people, we are on the front lines of climate change. Our relatives on our home home islands are on the front lines of climate change. And that's an important thing for the the Greens. We have to walk the talk, and we've been doing that. What message does this send to Pacific leaders, particularly in the lead-up to the Pacific Islands Forum? The final count following the, the votes will come in approximately two days before the Pacific Islands Forum. So having such little Pacific representation, could that be an issue on the the world stage, I guess? I, I think it is an, it's an issue if you've got a majority government with no Pacifica representation, that is definitely concerning that they have not prioritised that as well. Uh, but we'll see what happens when those special votes um, come in as well. But it should have been, you know, if this is important to you, then you would make it a priority, and they clearly haven't done that. What would be your reaction if National bowed to act and scrapped the Ministry of Pacific Peoples? That is very that is very concerning, and I have and and, and the trajectory of the ACT Party in terms of their uh, assault on the Ministry of Pacific People is abhorrent. People will recall that David Seymour made a joke about uh, uh, about bombing the Ministry for Pacific Peoples as well, and he doubled down on that with another joke. ACT needs to sort itself out. Are you concerned that those views will? seep into national, I guess they're going to be in government together? Um, I, I'm very, I'm very concerned, concerned um, for, for our communities about what this act, national, potentially New Zealand for, uh, coalition of chaos will do, to, uh, do for our people. Um, it'll, it'll stop the progress in terms of climate action, all of the things that we need to need to do as parliamentarians to step up to support our communities. It's important to remember we're in the context of a climate crisis. Uh, we're, in the, we're, in the, we're in the context of an inequality crisis as well. All MPs, all parliamentarians need to, 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 to step up. And actually, it's important for political leaders right across the, right across the board to actually to turn down the temperature on, on race baiting and hate speech and those sorts of things. But if you if you watched it out on the on the campaign trail, New Zealand First and the ACT Party, we're not doing that. They're making things worse. And National, 
enabling it. National and ACT have come back saying that they're not race-baiting and they have their arguments for what they're saying. What is your response to that? They are absolutely race-baiting. They know exactly what they're doing. They're being incredibly divisive and disingenuous uh, by by whacking the, the hornet's nest. Uh, that gives them votes, and that is why they they have they did what they what they have been doing is an is an actual intentional strategy is what I can see on in terms of what they are doing. We've already talked about Tetrachiwata. How many? It's such an important um, part of our of our constitution. It's the founding document of Aotearoa, and these idiots want to have a referendum on it. Um, they were uh, trying to dial back. Uh, back all the progress that we, we have been made by by pandering to people who don't want to learn about uh, to teach you away thing, don't want to learn about the, the wonderful connections that we have across the Pacific and how that makes Aotearoa a better place. It's our diversity. Our diversity is a strength. In light of all of this, are you gearing up for a real battle from the opposition benches? You better believe it. We'll be um, we're getting ourselves getting ourselves ready to hold this government to account uh, to make sure that we support and support our communities, our diverse communities right across Aotearoa, make sure we can do everything to support them and to be that critical voice in the House holding this government to account. We're getting ready. Papua New Guinea's soaring youth population is expected to reach 21 million by 2050. At independence in 1975, the PNG population was just over 3 million. The current population is about 12.9 million people. This dramatic growth poses significant issues for PNG, but the United Nations Population Fund believes it can bring a demographic dividend to the country if the right investments are made in family planning, education and employment. Don Wiseman spoke with the country representative for the UNFPA, Cyrus Shamim. First of all, the challenges, and it includes access to nutrition, health, education, and employment for all, particularly within the large youth cohort, which in PNG currently accounts for 58% of the total population. However, the potential opportunities of the demographic dividend are enormous, and I want to focus on that. The projections show that by 2050, there will still be a large youth component. And at that time, in 2050, it would be 44% of the population. So this is a long-term window for intervention. And there is time to turn this challenge around to a significant opportunity. A recent UNFPA WHO UNICEF study in Papua New Guinea on investing in women's, adolescents, and children's health showed that if we can reach a 95% coverage for family planning, maternal, newborn, and child health, including nutrition, we could potentially shift the needle on this problem. This investment has been estimated to cost an additional 350 million New Zealand dollars, but it could potentially generate over 3.9 billion New Zealand dollars in economic benefits by 2050. What would you do to achieve that? Let's have some examples of the specifics that would need to happen to move the dial. 
One of the specifics is to ensure that the population achieves access to modern family planning contraception. And UNFPA works with the National Department of Health and other NGOs in order to reach 80% of the contraceptive needs in the country. And the needs are driven by a focus on spacing of pregnancies and children, which in turn guarantee maternal health as well as reduce the risk of low birth rate babies and ultimately bridge the gap between the wanted fertility rate and the actual fertility rate. So we're trying to bridge that gap. This, this is work that's gone on for some time. And we still have, an, I think, an average family size of six, don't we, in PNG? So, Actually, uh, that has dropped to 4.2 currently. So there has been progress, but nowhere near what we would like to see. So in terms of this large jump in population, and they're astronomical, when PNG, for instance, hit independence in 1975, its population was about the same size as the New Zealand population at that time just over 3 million or so. Now the New Zealand population is 5 million and the PNG population is more than double that. And there are clearly a lot of issues across the country of governments and agencies struggling to cope with this influx of new people every year. Overall, is this the projection of reaching 21 million by 2050? Is that good or bad for the country? Thank you, Don, for that question. I just wanted to say that, you know, the only thing globally that has ever brought down fertility rates are access to education, health, and employment. And I think we need to see these underlying factors as being the drivers in Papua New Guinea and in New Zealand. And we would hope to achieve similar levels of access that New Zealanders have enjoyed since 1975. We would like to see that in Papua New Guinea. The gap is significant. The state that the country was left in at independence was very stark in terms of people's access to services. And so the journey that has needed to be made in the last 48 years has been significant given the geographical challenges in Papua New Guinea. Having said that, I also want to say that in most countries, population increases when health and education are guaranteed can be an extremely positive factor to leverage the country out of a particular status and into a new one. And we would like to take that perspective in terms of the positive potential. As I said, the benefit is 11-fold in terms of every dollar invested now in health and education and the potential returns in the ability of young people and adults to participate in the economy in a productive way. Yes, and those figures you talked about before, you're needing several hundred million dollars. Where is that going to come from for you? Well, I think that PNG essentially has got an economy that has very positive aspects to its resources, the mineral, mineral as well as other potential resources. I think the challenge really is how do we harness that in order to make sure that the population benefits at all levels right down to the village level in the rural areas. The infrastructural development in the country remains a challenge. As you know, the two biggest cities in Papua New Guinea are not at the moment connected over a land bridge. You do need to fly or you need to take the sea. So these are some very real infrastructural challenges, which we think with the 
current status of the economy despite the impact of COVID-19. The resources are there in order to achieve the intentions. However, we think that the reports that we're generating will help pinpoint exactly where the investments would deliver the best results and the returns on the investments. The Pacific Mental Health Service in Auckland is helping migrants from Pacific regions adjust to the New Zealand lifestyle. The Fonal Tofali team have recognised that stigmatisation against the Pacifica community is still a problem. The service offers a range of support methods to combat the struggles and anxiety that this can bring. The clinical director, Goreniasi Tuefanalele, spoke to Tiana Haxton about their purpose. For those who are migrating over from the islands, I think it's the trying to navigate in a system that's kind of foreign to foreign to them, and a lot of them, um, I would say, struggle, uh, and which creates some distress, and it starts off like that. Um, but I think uh, the two worldviews, the Western worldview versus the the Pacific worldview, and I think that's that's kind of something that we. In the service, uh, we try to uh, help um, our people. Have there been any particular challenges you've noticed to mental health within our Pacifica community? Well, there's, uh, uh, I'll be honest, there's, there's so, so many challenges. And I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is that I think I've been thinking this morning about the, the stigma that still exists. And we're going to try and um, uh, help our Pacifica people to understand that here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we, we need to, to get through that. And, and I think as a service, uh, serving our people, our communities, Pacifica communities, we need to be able to help them navigate through some of the challenges, and, and particularly the ones that matter most, uh, the stigma and also being able to understand the system that they can seek help from the services that that are here in Aotearoa, especially here in Tamaki Makauro. What kind of services do you offer that our people can access? So, because we are a secondary service, um, we have uh, uh, professionals that can help from the senior medical officers or from the doctors, psychiatrists. Um, through to the psychologists and the nurses and social workers or, 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 or occupational therapists. So we have a, a variety of services. But we also have uh, cultural support workers or cultural advisors that help, um, especially our people, in terms of if they are not able to... Um, um, if a lot of them feel comfortable speaking in their, their language, in Samoan, or in Fijian or Tongan, especially in those two, the Samoan and Tongan. So we try and we've got, we've got uh, different ethnic uh, specific uh, professionals that can help in that area. That's Pacific Waves for today and happy Nui Language Week. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, Tofa soy for